The Dark Word is a podcast about writing, writers, and those who read those writers. The goal of this podcast is to focus on the profession of writing, whether it be the creative process, the business side of things, or simply offering advice on how to be a pro. We'll be hearing from some of the best in the business over the upcoming episodes. And true to our name, The Dark Word focuses on writers who tend to hang out in the shadowy side of the room. These are the names you think of when you hear horror, suspense, noir. The names who have chilled you and thrilled you. So follow me down this dark hallway because there's someone I'm dying for you to meet. Dying for you to meet. Dying. Hey, hello, and welcome again to The Dark Word. I'm your host, Philip Fracassi, and with me today is Lisa Morton. Lisa Morton is a screenwriter. She's author of nonfiction books and a fiction writer. She is a six-time winner of the Bram Stoker Award, the author of four novels and over 150 short stories, and is a world-class Halloween and paranormal expert. Her recent releases include Night Terrors and Other Tales, Weird Women 2, and Calling the Spirits, A History of Seances. Her latest short stories appeared in Best American Mystery Stories 2020, Final Cuts, and In League with Sherlock Holmes. Her weekly original fiction podcast, Spine Tinglers, is now live at My Paranormal Network. Find out more about Lisa at www.lisamorton.com. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Hey, Philip. Thanks for the intro, and I am great today. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a nice day. It was raining earlier, but it seems to have abated here in Los Angeles. I'm a big gardener fan, so I love the rain. Usually I feel like it rains everywhere but my house, and today it actually rained on my house. (laughs) Yay. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're getting more later, so that'll be fun. So, yeah. So, again, thank you for being here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just want to talk about um, some of the, you've done so much uh, and a wide array of things novels and short stories fiction editing, nonfiction editing and writing. So I thought trying to get to the stuff that's really beneficial for some writers who have might be listening, you know, we've, we cover a lot of fiction writing with some of the other guests we've had. I'd love to get into start at least with some of the nonfiction work you've done. You've done multiple books. I know I have at least two of them. I know I have ghosts and seances. I uh, did a book on the history of Halloween and I'm sure there's some I've missed there that you've done on, on the nonfiction front. First of all, I think it'd be interesting to hear, how do you approach a new project when you're doing something um, nonfiction that's, you know, uh, where the subject matter is ghosts or seances? How do you, how does one get to, uh, you know, start ramping that up and, and what's your process for that? Well, I, I probably should clarify right off the bat that they, they tend to come to me now with these things. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I love the – where did you get the idea for the seance book? And I, I cannot lie and say it was mine. I actually was approached by my editor at Reaction Books with that. And I think almost all of my nonfiction books have been the result of me being approached by someone else. But one of the things I always try to emphasize when I talk to writer friends about writing nonfiction, people have this idea that it's somehow completely different and you should not approach it the way you approach fiction. And I kind of think that's wrong. Um, To me, a great nonfiction book or short piece, either one, is very similar to fiction. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has characters. It has conflicts. It has 
um, a kind of arc to it. And if you approach it that way, suddenly it kind of starts to look more possible to write that. I think I've had that happen with a few of my writer friends. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, a lot of times when you read a nonfiction book, whether it's historical or whether it's about you know the war or whether it's about a biography, you know sometimes it'll be very um, academic and sometimes it'll be very conversational and you'll feel kind of like you're reading a story versus reading something true uh, that you know happened to somebody. And I so it's interesting that you say that because um, I never really thought about it that way. That when you're writing something like the history of sciences, for example, that you you kind of constructed in your head at least like as if you're probably writing like a novel where like, well, these are the characters I'm going to want to flesh out. And this is the kind of through line, you know, for lack of a better word. Is that, is that sound about right? Exactly right. And with the seance book, for example, the characters I kind of chose to take us through the story were the Fox sisters who essentially invented the seance in 1848. And one of the things I did was I opened the book with us kind of, overview of what a seance was like and I talk about the Fox sisters and then we go through the history of it and I close it with um, a kind of very sad quote directly from one of the Fox sisters who after inventing this the seance and uh, really inventing a, a new religion spiritualism in the end they ended up um, Maggie and Katie Fox saying it was all fraud and there was an incredibly sad quote from Maggie that said that she had been in um, graveyards and had sat on tombs and had begged something to come to speak to her and nothing ever had. And so I thought that was a really poignant um, way to end the book. And especially since I kind of made the Fox sisters a central piece that took us through the story. Yeah, that is interesting. I've read a lot about them and they have a, definitely have a fascinating story. Uh, one thing I wanted to circle back on a little bit. So when you have a subject like whether it's Halloween or ghosts or the seances, I guess you have to sort of have a bit of a focal point. Otherwise you could write, you'd be writing a, you know, an encyclopedia sized book. So is your first step kind of like, this is kind of the focal point. I'm going to, this is kind of my perspective that I'm going to offer on this subject. Is that sort of a fair way to say how you kind of like start the process? I think even before that, I start the research um, right. because sometimes the research will reveal to me what I want that central focal point to be. Um, mm -hmm. That certainly happened with the seance book. And I just started reading about spiritualism and the mediums. And at some point while I was reading, I, I started to realize I love the, the story of the Fox sisters and I want to frame the book around that. So I, I think I always just start with the research. Yeah, that's interesting. When you're doing that sort of thing, even when you're writing, to your point, when you're writing fiction, it's kind of similar, which is like, you might be researching a, a general subject, or you might be researching like an event. And there will be something that typically grabs you. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, even when I was writing, um, I, when I was writing a Civil War book, and researching Civil War, and there was like a certain aspect of of the you know this one particular battle that reached out to me and I I guess when you're approaching um, nonfiction it's the same way you just kind of do the research and figure out what sounds something that you really captivates you as the uh, editor and writer. Yeah, absolutely. And you've done a couple books with Leslie Klinger. Is that one or two books have you done with him? We actually have our fourth one coming out in August. Oh, nice. Which ones? What's that about? 
Um, that is another collection of haunted, um, mainly ghost stories. It's called Haunted Tales, and um, it is, as with our other three collections, a collection of sort of classic stories, some of which are very well known and some of which are uh, undeservedly forgotten little masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And you've also co-edited Haunted Nights with Ellen Datlow, which was another uh-huh. another short story book. But you find yourself taking different angles on what the story collection will be. For example, I know when you did a little book with um, Borderlands Press, uh-huh. do you ever approach a collection where like the, the collection is just going to be the fiction? Or do you ever approach a collection like maybe with Leslie where you like, this is going to be a little bit more academic where we're going to like maybe do some annotations throughout kind of like highlighting points of the stories that maybe modern readers might not understand or interesting anecdotes about something that they refer to. Does that thought come in your head before you approach a, sh- a short story collection? Oh yeah, definitely. With the ones I do with less are because they are reprints of stories, some of which are 150 years old, actually more on a few of them. I think it's almost necessary to do a little annotating with these things because there are simply terms that are not familiar to modern readers. There were many that I didn't know. And um, there are places sometimes that the author is assuming and the reader is aware of that they may not know. And so we like annotating those collections just to bring them much more up to date. And also, I think with those collections, it's important to provide a little bit of background on who the author was. Mm-hmm. For example, even something like in the um, one coming out in August, we have The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde. And so we give a little background in which we talk about Wilde overall, but also a little bit more emphasis on how he wrote this story and um, why it seems a little bit different from most of his other work and and yet is very similar in other ways. And something, there also is a a story in that book called M. Anastasius, which is truthfully my favorite story in the book. It's a story no one has, very few people know about or have read. It's an absolute little masterpiece. Dickens thought it was the best ghost story ever written. So in that case, I think it's important to provide a little piece about who was this author? Why didn't I, why don't I know this person? And what else, what kind of things did she write? And But when you are doing a, of course, a modern collection um, or anthology like Haunted Nights, the authors are all people who are alive now, who are working now. So you don't have to annotate those. Um, They are in the current realm and and readers are going to know the references and so forth. Maybe in 100 years they will release those and will annotate them then. Right. We'll need a reissue. People know what TikTok is. Um, right. <laughs> so for the for let's say there's some folks listening who maybe are interested in putting together an anthology of modern short fiction. What is your process with an anthology? So I'm very curious how how the nuts and bolts of it work. Yeah, there are different ways of going about anthologies, especially nowadays with things like Kickstarter out there and so forth. But the classic way of doing it is indeed that you uh, create a concept and you probably put together just a very simple like two page proposal that talks about here's what the concept is. Here are some of the authors I would invite into the book. Here are sales points. That's always an important thing. With uh, Haunted Nights, which was a Halloween-themed anthology, 
um, that we did through the Horror Writers Association. We went to HWA's agent and we said we want to do a book on Halloween. We think it will sell really well because the popularity of this holiday is exploding. Here are some marketing points on that. And um, working with Ellen, of course, she has like this incredible sort of stable of writers that she can draw from. And we started talking to a few of them and you start to get people who will say, yes, I'd love to be in that book. And then you can use that um, as part of the proposal. And eventually these days with an anthology, an agent will typically tell you that you need eight to 10 name authors attached to Mm -hmm. it before they will even go out with it. Um, And I know sometimes people complain about that, but that is just the sad truth of doing an anthology with a major publisher. Now, maybe if you're doing it through Kickstarter or something, you can do all open submissions, but you have to have big names with um, most of the major publishers. So with something like Haunted Nights, we did attach to those big names. HWA's agent, Alex Shane at Writer's House, took that proposal with those attached names, went out and sold the book for us. Yeah, that's interesting. And I've and I've heard um, about there's, I don't want to say controversy is probably too strong of a word, but I've read a lot of the Twitter back and forth. I think, I can't remember, there was an anthology that came out, I think it was a year or two ago. You never know with Twitter. Everyone's arguing about everything in that, right? But <laughs> but what was, what was interesting, my takeaway was that I guess there was some uh, discussion about a certain percentage of the book is open to submissions and a certain percentage of the book is invites. And by invites, for those who may not understand, invites is a, to what Lisa's saying is where you literally reach out to writers and and invite them to write a story for the, for the book. And open submissions is when you're saying we're going to be reading from anyone that wants to submit a story for X amount of time. In your experience, is that something where you try and for you personally, would you, I do you lean more toward, I always want to have at least some stories that are brought in through open submissions. So, or do you lean toward more toward like, this is kind of the stable of writers. I'm going to go, go out and try and get into this book. Oh, I, I love the idea of open submissions personally. I mean, um, you get some in delightful surprises that way. Although what was funny with haunted nights was, um, we ended up using, I think, something like, uh, I forget what it was, five or six stories we pulled from the open submissions, and they turned out to, we didn't know who they were. We're reading them blind, which means we have no idea who, is, who has written these stories that we are choosing. And I think almost all of them came from writers I knew. Right, right. Well, <laughs> so- there's probably a reason if you're reading stuff blind that like there, there's published writers who are probably a little more polished and then there's right. And there's writers who maybe haven't been published who are still kind of learning the craft or whatever. So I, I wonder if that's a little bit frustrating in a way. You're probably like, oh man, I really want to like discover a new voice. A little bit. It can be a little bit that way, but um, what, and there's kind of, for me, the way I love to do an anthology like that is like there's kind of a third tier, which is the authors who I really like, but they're not a big enough name yet to help sell the book. Mm-hmm. And um, Ellen and I talked about a few of those names. And we, after we had the big names, we kind of did a second round of invites to people whose work we really liked. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of my favorite stories in the book came from those authors. And you also want to try and break it up. I know with Ellen, she 
you know, she has kind of her stable to your point, but she always of, of writers, but she always, I know makes an effort to bring in new writers and new people that she hasn't had in books before. And it's, it's gotta be a complicated process because there's a lot of um, qualifications you're trying to meet because you don't want to have a bunch of guys, right? <laughs> like you want to be able to have a diverse, somewhat diverse table of content as well, but you're kind of reading blind and you're kind of drawing from this pool of, so there's a lot of like, um, facets to creating a modern story anthology that, you know, I don't think people were as worried about 20 years ago or thinking about 20 years ago. Has that ever become a problem for you where you've been like, oh man, we need another woman writer or we need, you know, a, a person of color in this book? Or is that like something that gets discussed behind the scenes? Uh, it hasn't with my stuff so much. I mean, to me, when we go after the authors that we really like, for instance, um, many of them just happen to be women. And um, we ended up, I think, with a pretty 50-50 um, gender mix in Haunted Nights. And um, there, to me, it's just about approaching the widest range of really great authors that you can. And and when I hear people say, well, I, it's not my fault that I have nothing but white men in my anthology because that's who submitted. Well, you know, that's probably true. But to me, that just means that they didn't reach out as far as they could have. Right. Exactly. And that's a really good point. It's it, a great solution is exactly to your point is if you're thinking about doing something like this, you know, don't just reach out to the people in your corner of the world. You got to reach out and not even reach out wide, but I think also personally, it's like reach out wide as you can, but also reach into other groups that you may not, you know, that like make an effort to, to, to get the message to groups, you know, of, of that, of writers that maybe, you know, you wouldn't normally get to, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis of doing whatever it is you're doing. So I, to your point, make an effort to get, get the invitations out to, you know, a lot of different categories of writers. Cause I think that makes for the most obviously enjoyable and interesting uh, collection of stories is you have a lot of different perspectives and voices is always makes uh, a collection so much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about, let's talk a little bit about your publishing experience as a writer. You've written a lot of short stories and won you know, a lot of awards and have been doing it for, I know, a while. Can you talk a little bit about, I always find this interesting to talk to with people. Can you talk a little bit about how you first broke into um, publishing? Yeah, it was kind of a weird backwards thing for me because I actually started my writing career as a screenwriter. Um, that was what I wanted to do when I was a kid um, mm -hmm. in my teens, and it's what I studied at college, and I pursued it really vigorously for about 10 years, and then um, I sold my first screenplay back in 1988. Um, you know, obviously I was like eight years old, right? Right. Um, <laughs> And I had some success as a screenwriter with really low budget stuff, um, one or two bigger budget things. But after finding some success at it for a few years, I realized I didn't particularly like it. Um, I always say that with screenwriting, I used to think, how, why does anyone ever make a bad movie? And after being at it for a few years, I ended up thinking, how can anyone ever make a good movie? Right. It's really hard to sit there and watch your stuff 
um, you know, you think you've turned in a decent script and by the time it winds up on the screen, it bears no resemblance to anything you wrote, but there's your name all over it as the writer. And mm -hmm. that became really unsatisfying to me after a while. And I, so I started to turn more towards maybe I need to be writing prose fiction instead, where it's like my work, my name on it. And, um, Back in the early 90s, I went to my first convention, which was a world fantasy convention in Minneapolis. And I had friends who were also writers who were wonderful people, uh, uh, mainly Dennis Etchison, the late Dennis Etchison, who loved my stuff and took me around and introduced me to editors like Stephen Jones. And they all knew my movies, which floored me no end. And so because I had a little bit of recognition, Steve, for example, said, I'll read anything that you send me, which is a pretty wonderful way to start your prose career. And indeed, he bought the second story that I sent him. And that story became my first published short story. And I think that was 94. Um, and it appeared in a British paperback called Dark Voices 6. And after that, it did get easier to sell and it, it kind of kept up. And I ended up writing a lot of stuff for Steve. He's the editor I've worked with the most. And I have now reached the point where I rarely have the time to do unsolicited submissions anymore. I get a lot of invites into things, and, and it can be a little bit hard keeping up with all of those at this point. Yeah, and I want to talk about that, but I also I want to touch quickly on the screenwriting thing, because similarly, not to the extent that you had success, but I, you know when I when I've done interviews, I've talked about how I, you know, I was, I've always been a fiction writer, but I was writing screenplays professionally before I was published. And I, you know, I wrote a movie for a lifetime and I wrote a movie for Disney or whatever. And then I started writing short stories. And then I, and, you know, and I, to your point, you know, for, and for writers who might be listening and kind of debating the merits of one or the other, it is a very, very different, it's a very, very different skill set. And it's very different because when you write, when I, the way I describe a screenplay is I'm basically building a foundation for a bunch of other people to build upon, you know, versus a story or a novel that I write is like, this is mine hundred percent. And if you go into the screenwriting world thinking, oh, I'm going to write this screenplay and it's going to be me on every page and my dialogue and my action and all that stuff, I think you're going to be, I think you're going for some rough waters. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's so for writers out there who are considering which way to go, uh, know that when you're writing a screenplay, you're kind of a work for hire, and um, and what what you might end up seeing on the screen is most likely not going to be what you're going to write. Maybe in the twenty first pass, <laughs> right after everyone's had their input, maybe it'll be closer to the what you see on the screen. But I wanted to talk about your short story work as well. So you have um, a you've, how many collections do you have currently? Well, there's only one big retrospective collection, and that came out last year. That's Night Terrors and Other Tales. There were a few, like, smaller collections before that. There was, like, a little four-story thing I did for Cemetery Dance, and uh, there was the one themed collection, uh, Monsters of L.A., which was all new material. Hmm. Um, but in terms of, like, a major retrospective collection, I, I only did my first one last year, and um, I know I always see people – who will rush to print a collection after they've done like eight or 10 stories. And it took me 30 years to finally do one. Yeah. And so night terrors came out last year and so, so yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I'm curious, what was your impetus to like decide, okay, now I think, 
I want to assemble something. And did you have like a, was it a, was there a thematic in your, at least even if it's in your own head, was there a thematic perspective to it? Or were you just thinking it was, you wanted to combine some of your favorite stories? What was the, what was the thinking behind it when you decided to, to do that collection? I truthfully was never approached really much by publishers who showed any interest in doing a collection of mine until Kate Jones said, I would love to do a collection. And I've liked Kate's work a long time. And her uh, publishing company, Omnium Gatherum, was one that I was always really impressed by. And I really liked the idea of working with a, a woman-owned um, specialty press. So mm-hmm. I said, well, then, yeah, let's let's do this. And it actually took us like four years. I We were talking about it as early as 2017. Um, and it took us a few years to finally get around to just let's bite the bullet and do it this year. And um, when it came time to choosing the stories to go into the book, because I had a lot to choose from, I did end up kind of realizing that there were certain themes that I had written about a lot. And so I grouped the book into four or five different little sections. So there's a section of science fiction horror stories. There's a section of monster stories. There's a section, I think, that's just called something like the undefinable, which is just the the stories that go off in their own weird directions. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm one of those guys who did like eight or 10 stories <laughs> and then decided to do a story collection. And um, it was a situation where I'd sold a publisher a uh, short, like a novella, which they which they enjoyed and they were going to publish the novella. Then they asked me, they said, hey, what do you think about doing a whole collection? Do you have enough material? So it was kind of like, oh, uh, sure. Like, let's, let's see if we can figure that out. Um, so you talk about the invitations and I, I think it's interesting because I've had the most interesting response I've ever heard to this question came from Laird Barron. And the question I had asked, and I, I, and I asked it during a Lovecraft easing podcast that I was on and John Langan was on it and Laird was on it and, and Mike Davis was there. And I asked John and Laird, I said, how, how constricted are you to doing a, a thematic anthology? If you're given a very specific thing to write about, how much do you worry about it? And Laird's response was, oh, that's easy. I don't worry about it at all. I just do write whatever I want to write, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting. And I was going to ask you the same question because I am interested. A lot of times you'll get these invitations. Sometimes they say it's choose your poison. It's like whatever you want to write about, you can write about. Uh, this is the word count. But sometimes they say like, okay, we're going to do, we're doing an anthology about sports and your theme is basketball, which is never going not to, not a, not a horror collection that's ever going to happen. But how often when you get that invitation, um, and it is thematic. Do you, how much, uh, what percentage do you apply to like, okay, I really need to stick to this thing that they're giving me, or do you give yourself a little leeway to kind of just stay broad to it? I'm, I'm curious as a writer who's written so many stories and get so many invites, what's your philosophy on that? Um, I love being handed something that is at first glance, somewhat confining, for example, in, um, the, anthology just now coming out classic monsters unleashed the editor approached me and said i would love to have you do a headless horseman story oh interesting and oops, let me shut that that's someone uh, calling for an, to offer you an, a new anthology invitation <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, that that was the i'm sure the flying cockroach invite you just lost business yeah 
Um, and so my goal, whenever I get an invite that is very specific like that, I love it because then it's, it becomes that little problem to be solved of how can I turn this into a Lisa Morton story? Mm-hmm. And what can I take out of the headless horseman and turn it around into something that really matters to me? And um, what I wanted to ended up doing, and I, I wrote a very weird story for that Headless Horseman thing, and I'm sure people will read it and go, what the hell is this? Um, it's a sort of science fiction story about an android that has been created to serve as a Headless Horseman for entertainment purposes and begins to question why it has to give people fear. Oh, interesting. And yeah, so that was what appealed to me about taking that trope of the Headless Horseman and examining it. And its I think that comes from the fact that I get asked so often as a Halloween expert, why do we need a holiday devoted to fear? And so it was something I wanted to explore with that story. So I always look for these in these stories for a way to make it mine. Um, that's the the part of the challenge that I really love with those. Yeah. A lot of times you'll find, I, I find it's an interesting exercise. It's, it's, you know, you're sort of, sometimes you're forced to stretch, you know, different muscles that you may normally not feel like stretching. You know what I mean? I think the yeah. first, I, the first anthology I was ever invited to was called giraffes on the moon. And, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was hybrid, uh, not hybrid, um, Jordan Crawls Press, who also published Mother and Altar of Mine. And um, and literally that was the the theme was giraffes on the moon. And I was like, are you like all of us are writing about giraffes on the moon? And he's like, Yeah. So make sure that yours is like unique. And I thought that was really that and I've yet <laughs> come across that since where somebody gives you such a specific thing and everyone's writing about this very specific thing. And it's so bizarre that you're just it's almost fascinating to see, to your point how is this person make it into their story? So that was, that was, that was my first uh, anthology of my first kind of dip into the water of learning how to do that. But it is really interesting. And you can, and you find yourself, I'm going to explore something that's interesting to me using their topic. And also how can I, you said it perfectly. How can I make this a Lisa Morton story is really fascinating because that's really what it's about. It's about, you know, when you're invited to be in an anthology or if you're submitting to an anthology. I think you really want to have your voice shine through because that's what they want. They want unique voices. They don't want people doing the same same thing over and over again for, you know, for 20 stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're pretty much we're actually over, but I just wanted to ask you a couple quick um questions that I love to ask the writers who come on is do you have first of all, do you have any books that you would recommend uh writers who might be listening uh that you personally have like on your desk or or that you think are important for writers to read about writing well of course everybody should have a copy of strunk and white on their desk um just to answer those stupid things that come up i i will never get lay laid live right (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um i can have a better shot at getting it right with the strunk and white um and um beyond that i Probably the HWA's handbook on writing horror is really good. It has a lot of great, really solid foundational kind of stuff in it. Where can where can folks get the HWA book? Um, it was published through Writer's Digest about 10 years ago. And in fact, there may be a new edition coming at some point. Um, but it was in a second edition. It can be found just about anywhere, I think. 
All right, cool. And um, yeah, so that's I kind of hit all the stuff I wanted to hit, and I know we're out of time. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show, and best of luck with the upcoming book. It is, again, your next one is Haunted Tales, correct? Exactly, uh-huh, with Les Klinger. And that's coming out in August, I is that correct? Right. And also your short story then, Night Terrors and Other Tales is available, and Lisa's stories, and your nonfiction books are all highly recommended as well. All right, Lisa. Well, thank you so much, and I really appreciate it, and I'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Philip. This was fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Original production. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. What you need in your ears is real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. You choose the topics and the publications. Audio Hopper gives you a commercial-free straight read of the story. Read by real voice actors, not annoying computer voice simulators. Get a variety of points of view and real news. Audio Hopper. Real news narrated. In the App Store.